Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. I am your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. I had a lot of fun putting this episode together for you as it serves as our All Hallows Eve episode or Halloween special, if you like. This particular episode was recorded on Halloween night, and so hopefully it will hold some of that magic. The episode's production will probably carry into the first couple of days of November. However, I do believe that many traditions hold that the thinness, so to speak, of the veil between our world and that of the dead is closer to November 1st, so there you are. At any rate, this episode is less of a mixed bag and more of a conversation between my wife Maggie and me about our favorite horror novels and horror films. We went on for quite a bit and I was delighted to hit on a few topics and unearth a few lovely gems for which I went, uh, I wasn't purposefully mining, but uh, they were discovered all the same, so uh, we do hope you enjoy it. Y'all go on, get comfy, because we are about to begin. All right, so I'm once again here with Maggie Ransom. Maggie, how are you? I'm good. Excellent. We are both wishing you a happy Halloween, because as of the time of this recording, or rather at the time that you listen to this recording, it will either be Halloween or Halloween will have passed by shortly. Or something to that effect. Anyway. So, we're going to talk about... uh, we're going to talk about some horror movies. We're going to talk about some of our favorite horror movies and uh, some of our favorite horror stories and novels. I know you have a list that you've prepared that you want to talk about. And I have kind of a list, too, that I've prepared um, that uh, touches on some of the movies that we've watched most recently. We used to have a, a, a list of movies that we would watch annually. And as time has gone by, that's gotten a little bit more difficult to do. So we just <laughs> kind of have to pick pick the ones we really, really want to watch. And uh, we have a few of those. I wrote a few of those down. And we're going to talk about those. So, Maggie, what do you want to talk about first? Um, how about we talk about some of our favorite books? We've both been reading a lot of horror lately. so That's true. Yeah, we just did the... Or I just read The Shining. Um, and then we watched The Shining. Mm-hmm. King and Kubrick. Yeah, The Shining was not on our movie list this year, but um, we kind of leave it loose. So. Yeah, I actually watched that one for uh, Movie Club with Mark Godsiff. And if you're not doing that, by the way, you guys fix your shit. Because that's uh, <laughs> it's been really fun. It's been a, a, just a wonderful experience to be able to do that. And I hope to keep doing that whole thing. And it gives us an excuse to rewatch movies that we haven't seen in a long time or movies that we wouldn't have watched otherwise which is kind of cool i'd only watched the shining once before and that was with you but it was years ago so it was nice to go back and see it again okay well let's start talking about uh let's start with king then (laughs) what's the last one that you read he is the king of horror after all um most recently i read um Pet Cemetery again, because I'm a part of a Stephen King book club, mm. and um, I kind of convinced them, it was the first book we read in the book club, and I kind of convinced them that that should be the first, because I felt that of the King novels I've read, that is probably his scariest story, 
Um, and even he has admitted that he thought he went a little too far with that one. And I think, um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I read once that he was not going to have it published, but, um, I think he was trying to get out of a contract with a publisher and they needed one more, uh, manuscript out of him. And he had that one kind of sitting aside cause he had decided it was just too much, but he finally forked it up because he wanted to get out of that, uh, publishing contract. Not 100% sure on that, but I, I read that somewhere. Was that in, did he say that in on writing? Was that something? That, that may have mentioned? been where I read it. Cause I, I kind of feel like it was, but I, then again, I also feel like I had read that elsewhere independently yeah. of you having mentioned it so i think that probably is more or less how that went down yeah that one's pretty rough um you know the movie i haven't seen it in years but i remember thinking that it fell short way short of of the book and some of the things that that went down in that picture yeah um i think you and i both discussed that in terms of uh what is in the woods the uh Wendigo, I think, as they mention a couple of times, it fell short there, but I, I think they really stepped up, even though it, it was probably a pretty low budget picture, they really stepped up um, as far as uh, the other elements of horror, um, especially in the book. One of the more disturbing things was with um, Rachel's story of her sister Zelda, and I think they really um, did that very well in the film. Yeah, that's true. It definitely had its good points. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but yeah, it was pretty mm -hmm. terrifying. That that whole thing where it's the uh, just those elements of family that he takes and kind of twists and perverts in Pet Cemetery, I think, mm -hmm. is one of the things that makes it so unsettling and and hard to deal with. Yeah, and reading Pet Cemetery now as a parent is a totally different experience. Um, as it was reading it before you know, we had our daughter because it deals with a lot of, you know, just the mindless grief you would feel as a parent and the loss of a child. And, you know, you wouldn't be thinking clearly. And um, the book illustrates that pretty well, I think. Absolutely. And that's the other thing about King's writing, too, is it really it approaches that point of uh, the horror is very psychological. And he really, you know, you're inside his head and almost vice versa when when you're dealing with those things. And you, you really can, he really paints a vivid picture and, and enables you, the reader, to empathize with the characters. And that's a, that's one of those things that falls short in the film, unfortunately, is, and this happens frequently with a lot of his, or a lot of the, the stories that are adapted into films, you don't get that emotional and psychological connection to the characters so the horror is it kind of it's lost or diminished on screen i think yeah well stephen king's narratives they're always so intricate and um <clears throat> he doesn't you know i wouldn't say ramble because all of it is interesting and um you know pertinent information that he's giving you but uh he he really does go into very vivid detail um and he's great at uh, building character and he's great at you know painting the history of the setting um and the place and he's you know he's just very yeah. very detailed yeah it really stands out in that respect mm -hmm. i mean that book is huge and and touching on what you said i know i've heard 
Not often, but I have heard that um, that one of the reasons people don't care for Stephen King is because he does kind of go on those meandering, uh, uh, you know, sort of creates these word salads. But mm-hmm. but like you said, I think that is necessary because, uh, and, and that's the reason I bring up it, is because it really puts you in that place and you get an idea of the setting, you get an idea of, of what it's like to be there. You, get, you know what music... Uh, the characters are listening to you know what music the people around the characters are listening to and you just you get a real sense of what's happening so that when something odd happens or something that is a little unnatural you really understand and get a sense of how unnatural and out of place that thing is which i think is wonderful and with king you know it's kind of necessary um in his novels because usually the setting of the story, um, you need that history because the place itself has this unseen power and hold on people. Um, generally, there's usually something sinister about the place itself. So getting that history helps to paint a picture of, you know, um, how people have lived in this town or, mm. um, and you know what they've gone through throughout history and then you can kind of understand what's happening to the characters in the present story a little better especially in the case of dairy maine and now Mm -hmm. i guess not that castle rock has never been mentioned before but now that they're doing the show on hulu it's a lot easier to make those connections and you know i guess he's kind of created the the king verse as it were which of of which the dark tower is more or less the linchpin that holds all of that together, mm-hmm. which I don't even know if we should get into that. Because that's a, that is the subject of a whole other series of podcasts, I imagine. Yeah, um, and one thing I've noticed um, in at least of the books I've read, and you know, King has a vast library of work, so I've only read a handful. Um, but I've noticed with Pet Cemetery. Most recently, I've read Pet Cemetery. Um, it, and I also read the body recently, but that doesn't really count because, um, I noticed in Pet Cemetery and it, um, you know, like I said, the, the place, the setting of these books, you know, the place itself has power over people. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that a common theme, um, in his stories, uh, like in Pet Cemetery, the Indian burial grounds kind of have a pull over people and they can influence people and you know people can't really push back against it they're kind of defenseless against this power and then in it and dairy you know whenever the kids were in trouble and they were um being pursued or attacked by pennywise the adults around them that could have helped simply looked the other way so it's like you know there's always this unseen power that kind of negates people's ability to interfere, help, or help themselves, help others. Yeah. Now that you mention it, that seems to be a very common theme in his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even in the case of, like, the first thing that comes to mind, besides it, of course, and uh, um, Pet Cemetery, and of course, Castle Rock, the Tommyknockers. That played a, a very large role. There was, I don't want to spoil it. Um, it's it's one of those that kind of, um, as the story evolves and then you get to the end, you you're either gonna really be on board with it, no pun intended, or not. Um, but it's it again, it's one of those where there is a thing in a place, 
and it exudes a power over people and alters their mm-hmm. behavior um, for for better or worse, depending on, on your point of view. Yeah. So uh, I think that is a big thing with King. And I think that's one of the things that makes his work so interesting is it's um, it's not always a, a devil or an alien, you know, and even if it is, um, that devil or alien that's the antagonist plays uh, a much smaller part or role in some of the horrific things that happen and some of the uh, horrific things that people do to one another because it's more or less that influence um, over the characters and not necessarily the, the malevolent entity itself. Yeah, and too, um, I think I was discussing with you when I was reading The Body, which... Um think was originally a short story in an anthology but they kind of um printed it as its own separate novella um and I recently read it and I was you know just discussing with you um some of what I was reading and you know King usually waits till the very end to really get to I guess what you could you know for lack of a better term called the boss fight you know and you know you made a good point where you said with with his work it's more about the journey the getting there and all the character development and you know the characters go through a lot during that but um it's ultimately about the journey and then at the end everything you know comes to the climax with the um the thing or the monster or what have you you know, speaking of the climax, um, <laughs> it uh, <laughs> we're Keep real mature PG-13. here. Um, <laughs> speaking of the climax, that's one of the only other criticisms I ever hear leveled at Stephen King is that he doesn't know how to end a story. And right off the bat, I just want to say that I don't agree with that. Uh, you might not like the ending, but I don't. Uh, I don't think that he seems to habitually uh have issues ending books in satisfactory ways have you noticed that um you know it from book to book it depends for me um i i felt like the ending of it was kind of weak but um i didn't feel that way about pet cemetery uh one thing i like about his work is definitely that um you know and i know a lot of people who are not satisfied by an ending unless it's you know all wrapped up in a tidy little bow and it has a happy ending which, if you expect that from King's work, then you need to go somewhere else and read someone else. <laughs> yeah. But I like that, you know, his stories don't necessarily have a happy ending or they kind of have, you know, uh, it's, it's not happy, but it's not, unha- you know, he's, he, um, he leaves some things open for interpretation and, um, you know, he's not worried about pleasing the reader so much as you know um doing right by his story right so i, I appreciate they, that yeah they, they tend to end naturally yeah it's natural and like i said it's not always a bad ending or you know an unhappy ending it's just whatever fits that particular story like pet cemetery had a you know pretty brutal ending (laughs) um but that's what that story needed because it was just a brutal series of events that just kept getting worse and worse yeah and so it couldn't have a clean happy ending there was no way to do that with that story and do right by the story at the same time right i completely agree and i want to say now um to you all listening in speaking about these books and these stories and and subsequently these films there will be spoilers 
Um, I realized I was trying to to save some of those spoilers and keep the discussion spoiler-free without having decided whether or not I was going to do that initially. So consider this your official warning that uh, there very well may be spoilers ahead. So there you go. I know that we both really enjoyed, um, and it's been a while since we've read it, we used to read a lot of books together uh, when we had more time, but um, Richard Matheson's Hell House. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Extremely disturbing. That was brutal. Yeah, and that one was also very psychological. Um, and, you know, he's actually, he's very well-rounded as an author. He can He can write all sorts of different things. He can write you know, fantasy, science fiction, but um, he's really good at horror as well. Yeah, and it's been a long time since I've read that now that you mention it, so I'm not, compl- yeah, I, I really don't remember a good bit of it. Yeah, that one, that one was essentially um, where a group goes to a house that has um, a really bad history and a really bad past, and they, uh, uh, I think... One of them is sensitive in some way, maybe a medium or clairvoyant, and others of them are scientists and, um, I guess, paranormal investigators, as you will. And they're all going there to try to, uh, I guess, just study and possibly cleanse the house. I don't remember. But, um, and it's basically just about the house slowly turning against them and showing them its secrets and driving them insane and whatnot. Yeah, I the two things that I remember the most about that, one of which was that it sort of took a soft sci-fi turn when mm. you found out how the house was actually haunted or how the the entity was able to project himself throughout the house and uh, and the other thing of course that I remember was the guy, the Belasco, that was his name, right? It was the Belasco house or something like that. I think that. so. That sounds um, right. Yeah, that sounds remarkably close to Beleskin. But yeah, so this uh, this guy, when he was up to all of, all of his, his decadence and, yeah. you know, multiple, uh, multiple partners and having fathered children with multiple partners, those infants would be tossed into the, the cairn uh, that lived or that was in the front of the house. It was like a... Uh, some type of uh, of moat. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I don't remember that part. Yeah, um, basically the the unwanted children were just thrown into this yeah. this water to die, and I remember how that that just and it was almost like a, a side note, like that wasn't even mm-hmm. you know like a focal point at any uh, at any point during the narrative. It was just like, oh, by the way, <laughs> this dude was so terrible. This is one of those things that happened, and I remember that was one of the most horrific moments in the book for me and it really kind of illustrated how I guess just how bad that guy was and how an act so depraved and so terrible could really stick yeah. into a place um, all I really remember about the entity you know that um, had power in that house was that he had been essentially the leader of a cult of pleasure and depravity like, he enjoyed pushing people to their limits to see what he could get them to do. Yeah. To just let go. And um, uh, it essentially just created a very evil force within that house. It's based on some of the acts they committed. Yeah. 
Not that there's, you know, anything wrong with pleasure seeking or depravity. That's uh, just, I guess it depends on the level that you take it to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Richard Matheson, uh, we used to read a lot of his books and uh, a lot of those books were actually, or books and short stories were turned into films or adapted mm -hmm. to the screen. So there was What Dreams May Come, which mm -hmm. a lot of you may remember. Uh, very different from the source material in a lot of ways, but um, based on Richard Matheson's work, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, Didn't Real Hell Steel. Didn't have a film adaptation? I think it did, yeah. I don't recall if I've ever seen that. Yeah, because I, I feel like I remember the sauna scene yeah. from, from a movie. I remember it in the film, and I feel like I remember it from a movie as well. Yeah. Mm. I'm probably getting it confused with some of the retellings of mm -hmm. House on Haunted Hill or Hill House or whatever. I'm... And didn't he do I Am Legend as well? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I Am Legend was uh, adapted for the screen. Real Steel was based on a short story called mm. Steel. You know, I Am Legend is one of the few. I, I read the short story, and I actually preferred the movie adaptation to the written. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's been a long time. I may have to revisit. Now that we're talking about this, I may have to break out the old Matheson again. Because so I remember I really got into his work for a while there um was a terror at twenty thousand feet i think the twilight zone episode the really yeah. famous one with william shatner he yeah, wrote he for wrote the twilight the, zone back in the day yeah, yeah. he he's uh wrote for the screen um let's see stir of echoes with kevin bacon oh, yeah. that's also a richard matheson story you read that one too didn't you yep yeah i never got around to reading that one and it seems like there's one more really big one that i'm forgetting but uh Oh, well, it might come back to me. Um, but yeah, so any of you guys that have not read Richard Matheson, um, definitely look into that because he's, uh, as Maggie said, very well-rounded. And uh, I'm sure that, that there is something in, in his, uh, his library of, of works that you will enjoy. And you know, I think uh, I read once that King had mentioned him as an influence of I'm his sure. own writing. Um, so yeah. Yep, he's been around for a while. Um, the only other books I've read recently that really got under my skin is actually a uh, young adult series. And I had you, I got you to read the first book, um, but it's really the second book in the series. That's the, the really scary one. Um, and that's the Diviners series by Libba Bray. Yep, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it takes place in the 1920s. Um, and it centers around a group of um, gifted individuals, young adults, and um, they're, I think it takes place in New York, it's been a while since I read it, but um, there's a lot of sinister things going on and they're trying to get together and try to put a stop to it, but um, yeah, the second book in the series, uh, Lair of Dreams, I believe it's called. Um, that one was especially scary, but all three books so far in the series, there's going to be four books total, are very scary to me. They really got under my skin. What was the third one called again? Oh, goodness. I hope I'm not getting them mixed up. Oh, um, Before the Devil Breaks You. Yeah, that's a very cool title, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first one is The Diviners, and that's what the overall series is titled as well. 
and then it's Lair of Dreams and um, Before the Devil Breaks You. And Lair of Dreams is the scariest. Um, the first book is really good as well. Yeah. And uh, the I third being, book. being pretty wrapped up in that. Yeah, I think the third book, the second book is the best horror-wise, and the third book is just the best writing and is very political. You can tell she put a lot of current events into the writing, even though it takes place in the 1920s. She packed a lot of punches towards the current events in our country. And that was, that came out last year? Yes. So the year before last. Mm -hmm. Last year? Last year. Yeah, I think last year it came out. And no news so far on when the fourth book will come out. That's too bad. That's always very disappointing. Yeah. She takes her time, but she does a really great job. Yeah, that first one, um, The Diviners, <clears throat> I remember enjoying very well. I couldn't really give you any details about it now. It's been, I mean, it's been like, what, three years since I read it? Yeah. Um, and I had to read it in, uh, in spurts since the only time I had to read it at that point was right before bed. Uh, the only thing that sticks out in my mind about it, though, that I really did enjoy was there are two ways that you can write about ritual murder, I think. Um, you can do it well, <laughs> which she did, or you can do it in such a way that it's just so contrived and uh, and unbelievably cheesy. So I'm glad that uh, that it was the former with her. But I remember that sticking out the most and some of those things being really... Uh, just intense and really brutal. I was mm. just like, "Wow, I can't believe that! I uh, can't believe I just read that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty dark. Let's see. Is there anything else that I've read recently? I'm reading Doctor Sleep right now. Actually, well, to be specific, I'm listening to the audio book of Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining. And so far, it's been really good. It's definitely got a darkness to it. Um, which uh, I'm sure you would expect from Stephen King. But the most important thing that I could say about Dr. Sleep right now, I'm about three quarters of the way through it, is that it feels like a very natural progression from The Shining. It doesn't feel like something that Stephen King just whipped up really quick uh, because people were demanding a sequel to The Shining where he was just trying to cash in. Yeah. It's definitely believable and, uh, and, and different enough from the uh the plot of the shining to to stand on its own so if you guys haven't uh read dr sleep and if you know you're just kicking around the idea of reading dr sleep i suggest you go ahead and take the plunge because it's awesome let us uh let's let us get into some of that movie discussion now i think where should we start um actually how about we talk about some of the like darker, scary TV we've been watching. Watched quite a bit lately. Yeah, that's true. And I guess in the past several months we have. Mm -hmm. There's the uh, the obvious Stranger Things, <laughs> which uh, we've talked about the uh, first season before, mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit about the second. But that one is kind of that's the low hanging fruit there. What else have we watched? Uh, my personal favorite, and honestly, it's moved its way up to my favorite TV series now, which that um, had a lot of competition with Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, but uh, Dark, I absolutely loved. Um, yeah, that's a Netflix ex Netflix exclusive. That's yeah, a Netflix it's a television German show. Netflix exclusive, um, and I love that they're working with foreign film. Um, productions now but uh dark is amazing and it's so complex like it's not one that you can 
you know, just you know, watch on the periphery, you've really got to be paying attention. Yeah. So it's very intensive uh, time travel. That's mm-hmm. that's the crux of the show is time travel. And they um, do it so well because time travel is a complicated thing. And if you don't, you know, you've got to have the complication, but do it with enough fluidity that, you know, it's not too jarring for the viewer. Right. And the other thing about Dark, um, at least to me, was the care that they took in unfolding the story. Um, because it's it's not linear at all. It mm. it sort of it almost and you know what? Now that I think about it, the cover image that you'll see on Netflix is pretty accurate in its representation of the story and the way that it it begins in a linear linear fashion. Excuse me, and then kind of folds back in on mm. itself to create an almost mirror image, but in another timeline. Um, and if that sounds um, convoluted it it is to a degree but if you watch the show and pay attention it it is done very well and in a way that that makes a whole lot of sense i mean i'm i don't feel bad in in saying that i've had to watch an episode or two a few times to to get it yeah i think the whole intro is done in mirror images um which is pretty brilliant when you go back after watching the whole season and I personally thought, like, this is, I loved the way that season one ended. This is my kind of ending, um, you know, because it's kind of devastating. And spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it, you know, stop, stop listening for a minute, <laughs> but um, skip ahead a bit. But um, it's just that, um, is it Jonas? Jonas? Um, the main character. I think, uh, yeah, he's he's Jonas. the one uh-huh. from the current timeline. Yeah, Jonas's future self comes back trying to stop this event that he thinks will fix things in the future, but in doing so, he's the one who creates the yeah. event. Yeah, he, and that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, the the <laughs> protagonist, the protagonist ultimately is the one who brought about the. Uh, the problem or the conflict. Yeah, and he doesn't even realize it. And, and that's just amazing story writing to me. It's brilliant. Yeah, it was a kick in the head. I mean, not not only was, you know, the entire story just fascinating and it pulled you in. And it's also very dark and heavy. It's German, so it's dark, it's heavy hitting. But um, They do that very well. Yeah, um, I actually saw someone on Facebook. I thought they described it perfectly. They said... Um, it's like Stranger Things, but German and without the laughs or something <laughs> no, like that. Nobody laughs. Yeah, but no one laughs. But um, yeah, I just you know, not only was just the whole season just so good and the story was so good, but the ending was just so powerful and it was just a punch to the gut. Yeah. And uh, one of the things, too, about it is how well the characters seem to react to being put in the position that they were put in mm-hmm. because when you deal with time travel you know it a lot of the things that we take uh, as you know for granted now are cliches um in, in the genre you know so it um you know when you see someone react to something or learning that uh i'm trying to think of the parentage here for like uh Jonas, for example his dad is his it wasn't his little brother was it Something like that. It was something crazy like that. 
And then he finds out that the girl he's got a crush on is like his his aunt, his aunt I, or I something. Think, yeah, yeah. It was a little little bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I, it's yeah. pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's quite as incestuous as we made it sound, but it is to a degree. And mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the lineage of that family tree, though. Um, but yeah, the way that those characters react to uh, being thrust in that fantastic situation and, and dealing with it was pretty amazing. Uh, because a few of those characters are playing the long game too, mm-hmm. and they're they're aware of the way this time travel functions and that it is a thing that exists. So they're putting events in motion, uh, you know, a generation ago, planning on the outcome uh, that won't come to fruition for for yeah. several years. Yeah, and then you know you've also got like some of your characters, like Jonas. They're they're trying to put a stop to certain things. They're trying to help. And they don't realize that they're essentially puppets, that there are puppeteers behind the scenes, you know, um, just gently tugging on their strings. And that it's just, it's a very, very intricate show. Oh, absolutely. And I was just flipping through an article on bustle.com because uh, it was one of the first things that came up. I was trying to remember what the name of that town is, uh, Vinden. I believe mm-hmm. is the town, which I think is German for twists or oh. turns. Um, but what I didn't know is that... Uh, it's and, almost uh, like winding Vinton or something. I mean, it's remarkably similar, so I'm sure mm-hmm. that they share a, share a commonality there. Mm-hmm. But um, let's see. Apparently, uh, Vinden is a real place in Germany, and this is a, all according to this article on Bustle. It's surrounded by the Black Forest, which has a formidable reputation in legend and lore. Per Business Insider, it is said that the Brothers Grimm were inspired by this particular forest when they created Hansel and Gretel, Rapunzel, Sleeping Beauty, all of which have some seriously creepy undertones. So yeah, that actually adds an interesting level yeah. of, uh, of coolness and weirdness to that show. I know that I'm really stoked for season two. I know, I wish they would hurry up and announce when it's going to drop. Just do it. I know. Yeah, well, we have to wait for season three of Stranger Things because I think they want to yeah. ride that wave. Yeah, I think, I think like you were saying the other day, Dark is kind of for people who are on a Stranger Things high but don't have any more Stranger Things to watch. It's right. like the next step, you know, yeah, so Netflix they drop it after Stranger Things. Yeah. Oh, the soundtrack watching. too, by the way, is absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that's something that can I can be drawn into a program or a film based on the soundtrack alone, and uh, I certainly recommend that. What was the other show we watched recently? Where it was another foreign? Was it The Rain? Mm-hmm. It's another foreign production. Is that Swedish? Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, that one had a great soundtrack too, and I really enjoyed it. It was interesting. Yeah, the. Um... The only thing that I remember from from the rain, as far as the soundtrack was, there was a track that was uh, "Uncle," I think, featuring Mark Lanigan. Do you remember that? Yeah. And that that left out of me. And uh, I actually put together a playlist on Spotify for Dark specifically, um, and I was just trying to look up a few of the songs uh, from Dark. So the series actually starts with Dead or Alive, You Spin Me Around, which you just can't, <laughs> you can't go wrong. Um, 
Oh, yeah, that's the song they play in that little bunker of theirs. Jeez. Yeah. So, and the other one, too, um, (laughs) is, uh, it was a track called Anthracite Fields 4 Mm -hmm. Flowers by, uh, I think it was Julia Wolf. Mm -hmm. And that that was the one that uh, was like the orchestral choir where where the music was basically done by by human voices similar to... uh, the Bjork record, Medulla. I was about to say, did they did they include any Bjork? Because she seems like an obvious choice for that sort of. Story. No, I don't think that they did mm-hmm. actually. I mean, yeah, that um, I don't know. That might be a little too on the nose, bringing in the uh, <laughs> yeah. Icelandic weirdness of of Bjork. Yeah. Let's see what else is uh, what else? Fever Ray also, um, and let's see. Da-da-da. Tears for Fears, <laughs> which, um, which of course was shout because it seems like any time that Tears for Fears is in, incorporated anywhere, it's always shout. Uh, Flock of Seagulls, Iran. Um, let's see. Basically, a lot of eighties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From from both uh, America. Is that when the and, main storyline uh, takes place, or is that one of the storylines? Yeah, okay. one of them is in the eighties, but not the main, like the no. one you start out in. That's the main current one is, day. Yeah, the main one is contemporary. Yeah, because you've got the contemporary, you've got a future timeline, which I think season two is going to be based heavily yeah. in. And it's not. Wait, I'm trying to How remember many now. Years? Yeah. It's yeah because it's a set number it's of years between the past present in the future yeah it's something, it's something like, like that. 37 years yeah it's all equal I so they've got that. like four different storylines going on i think and one even goes back into i think it's pre-world war ii germany or just before world war ii or just after i can't remember whatever it was it was the same amount of years between maybe it was just the afterwards. 80s the present and mm-hmm. the future yeah yeah it was. It was so always. So it would have the been same. the pre-eighties. It would have been, however many years before. It was definitely post World War Two because yeah, we were okay, talking about. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, what were the? I can't remember what the main giveaway. So it was the fashion, really, that always mm-hmm. gives it away for me. Um, but then again, the uh, like the the German uh, police kind of kept that nineteen twenties Berlin esque yeah fashion, which They're is still... so fucking sharp. By the way, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you can't you, if, <laughs> you can't get out of it without saying that uh, that it was pretty snazzy. Looks good, exactly. <laughs> um, and the hairstyles are coming back too, which yeah, the I uppercut. find incredibly ironic and interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so dark is is one of those that you guys should definitely check out if you're into uh, if well if if you're into foreign film and television, definitely, and you don't mind reading subtitles. I know I don't. Um, I can't. I can't stand watching dubbed film and television. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we started watching Dark. I think it automatically had it dubbed for us, and I could not stand it. So I turned it to the German, and we just read the subtitles. Um, and you, you and I both uh, learned a little bit of German. You went a lot farther than I did with it, but I was surprised at how much I was able to pick up. Yeah, yeah, it's always weird. <laughs> you have like two languages bouncing around. Yeah. Creates a sort of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so definitely check that out. Definitely check that out. Check out the rain, um, which uh, very quickly the premise of that that was the it was kind of a post-apocalyptic sort of deal where um, 
uh, I can't remember if they explained why it happened, but at some point the rain, you know, life was just going about as usual. And then all of a sudden, um, the storm came up and the rain, if you were touched by it, you died horribly. (laughs) And so people figured out quite quickly not to be caught outside in the rain. Right. Um, so it's just, it's kind of, it deals with the aftermath of that. Like a lot of people have died. I guess most of the population has died. And, um, a brother and a sister who were the daughter and son of a scientist, I guess, who was responsible somehow for that phenomenon, um, were hidden away in a bunker. He knew what was happening. He moved his family to a bunker and they were the, um, they survived down there. And then I guess they come up years later because they have so many supplies. I think it's for like seven years. Yeah. It was a long time because it was enough Mm -hmm. for the main character, this, um, and her little brother. Yeah. Cause he was small and then he grows up into a young man. Yeah. And so they finally have to come out when they run out of supplies and they meet some other people. You know, there's mistrust issues, but then they kind of group together and it goes from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it might be worth watching again because I can't remember a whole lot of that now that you mention it. Yeah, it was it was a pretty solid show. Um, I It wasn't anywhere near as good as Dark, <laughs> but um, yeah. but it, you know, it had its own merits and it was it was pretty good. Awesome. Well, I know um, that more or less, I think, covers the the television we've been watching. There, you know, do you want to mention House on Haunted Hill? Is it House on Haunted Hill or Haunting of Hill House? I think Haunting of Hill House was one of the names that they gave to a remake or a, uh, another ad- screen adaptation. I think that this one is um, House on Haunted Hill. I have my phone right here. <laughs> Yes, consult the internet. Um, and the only reason I mention that is because I, d- I don't necessarily know if I want to take the time. Yes, yeah, the haunting of Hill House. The haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to take the time in this episode to get into that one because it's very complicated. Yeah. Um, it's and, a very slow unveiling story. Yeah, there are a lot of time jumps, and I don't necessarily think that all of those time jumps were handled well. Really? Um, I, thought, I thought it was pretty... Well, I mean, pretty... it was well done to a point, but it wasn't always clear. Yeah. You know, where one timeline would end and then the present would pick back up, etc. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to get into that one. Yeah, I'd say overall, I really enjoyed the show itself. It was a little slow at times, but the ending was very weak to me. Yeah. I liked the idea of the show. Mm-hmm. And I liked the idea of what they were going for. But in the end, I didn't feel... I personally didn't feel like it was a ghost story or a haunted house story. It was... I mean, some, sometimes when you're telling a story, yeah, the uh, there are metaphors. And, you know, the story is actually about X, Y, and Z. Mm. And, you know, there's a, a lesson to be learned. Yeah. You know, in, in the comparison to the events that are happening and... And uh, what's going on in, inside the characters. But in this particular case, I feel like it was more about the people and less about the haunting. Yeah, it was which... definitely a character-driven show. And that's fine. It's just not what I wanted. Yeah. Um, you know, I enjoyed watching it. It was fun. It was a fun ride. I don't think I'd watch it again. But, um, you know, I, I read the book and it 
it is very much inspired by the book, mm-hmm. but it is in no way um, ab- about the book. I mean, right. the story in the book is completely different. Um, and they have, you know, a few, they add a few fun things and to kind of honor the book. I guess like right. one of the characters' names is Shirley, and it's written by, I believe her name is Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they have a few fun things. Um, they toss some uh toss some stuff back to the book but um overall it's just its own story it's yeah of, it's very original um and it's just very loosely inspired by <laughs> and long <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, i wanted to talk about uh a few of the films that we have either already watched or we're going to watch, or the ones that we had planned to watch, but now have absolutely <laughs> we had so no many hope of, of uh, kind of um, derailed. We started off strong and then we derailed. Yeah, well, you know that uh, that happens. I mean, Izzy's like she's five now, well, so that it wasn't so much that it was just we we found other things to watch. Like you had the movie club that came out, and yeah, The that's Shining true. was a perfectly good film yeah. to watch. Tried to during find that October, there. so. Um, not derailed in a bad way. We just, you know, kind yeah. of there played, only so played many it hours. loose. Yeah. yeah, only so many hours in the day. Let me say, we started off with a rigid list, and then it got really loose. Okay, well, let's <laughs> start we... with let's start with what we what we would watch annually, and that was we would watch The Thing. Mm-hmm. We would watch American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. And Trick or Treat is the one that Trick we... Trick or Treat is the one we never... Yeah, we have to watch into. that. We always watch Trick yeah, or Treat. And it... we try to watch it on Halloween, so we'll be watching it tomorrow. Yep, tomorrow. So by the time you guys hear this, if you listen to it on Halloween, um, yeah, we we'll will probably, be, we'll probably trick be watching Trick or Treat. <laughs> we'll take our daughter to yep. Trick or Treat and then <laughs> Come back treat ourselves to yeah. Trick or Treat. <laughs> exactly. That is a wonderful movie. Did I forget anything? It was American Werewolf in London, The Thing, uh... Trick or Treat... I always watch Hocus Pocus. I know you don't really join in, but that's one. Hey, I used to. Man, I was all about that movie when Hocus it came Pocus. out. Um, yeah, well, this year we added in, we wanted to watch The Witch, which we did watch. Mm-hmm. That was our first one. And we watched Hocus Pocus. And I always want to watch. One of the scariest movies to me is The Woman in Black. Yeah, we that movie that terrifies me, but I, I can't always get Parker on board with that one. He doesn't find it scary at all. And I've read the book of that as well. Did and you? Yeah. It was pretty disturbing, but it was more of like a slow English classic. It kind of had that feel to it. Mm. I'm not sure how long ago it was written, but um, definitely got that feel if it isn't in fact a classic. And um, the movie was much scarier to me it's just it's so dark and so heavy that's one of those that i can't watch um and just leave it at that i have to go watch like a, a comedy like an episode of bob's burgers or something <laughs> after because i can't go yeah. to sleep with that in my head yeah there's some intense moments in that movie i remember mm-hmm. looking forward to that quite a bit actually the only thing is and i feel really bad for daniel radcliffe um and that is i just like he was Harry Potter for so long, and that's all I ever saw him in. I can't think of I can't think of him um, as any other character. It's very hard for me to buy him. I remember Tobey Maguire. He he jumped out of Spider Man 
because he didn't want to be, well, I mean, there are numerous reasons, but one of them that he mentioned was he didn't want to be known as Peter Parker forever, and he was dangerously close to to having that happen, I think, mm. which is a bummer. But, uh, but yeah, Daniel Radcliffe, he's a, he's a fine actor. Uh, I think he's great. I just can't, you know, I can't think of him as anything other than, uh, oh, and the dancing Irish painter, right? Um, from, uh, from that SNL skit. <laughs> that, that was amazing. Was the, he Irish? I don't remember. Are you talking about the, I tried and therefore no one should criticize yeah, me? Yeah, yep. <laughs> God, that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. Woman in Black. Yeah. We should probably try to watch that one again you soon. Know, another one I think we should add to our yearly is uh, our yearly October horror fest, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um, is Troll Hunter. That is oh, a gem. Oh, God, yes. If you haven't watched Troll Hunter, I, I think it's still on Netflix. It's been on Netflix for the longest time. It is a diamond in the rough. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those that we... Because at this time, we were doing... Um, did we live in Florida when we watched that? I think... Yeah, yeah, yeah we did. Because I, I, was, I was getting confused with the time that we used to go into Vision Video and we would do our no, random no, movie no. pick. We saw we it on Netflix. We select one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, it was, a, it was the it's same kind of circumstance, too. wasn't it? Yeah, it's pretty new and it's done in one of those documentary style... Is that what, yeah. what they're called? Yeah, the yeah. documentary style uh, slash... Mm-hmm. Found, well, it's not found footage. It's definitely documentary mm-hmm. style. And I think we actually watched it as a joke. We were like, oh, let's watch yeah. Troll Hunter. Because it looked, <laughs> yeah. it looked and, and it sounded ridiculous. Be, yeah, it was amazing. It was, it was amazing. amazing. <laughs> I mean, and the premise is very simple. Uh, they're, these cats are they're making a documentary. Um, was It wasn't specifically about that guy, was it? They were, were filming No, so, I can't remember why they were in something incidental. And they came upon that guy who yeah. was, uh, I think it might have been... It seems like a crazy um, person. Some type of activism they were doing. Or maybe mm-hmm. I'm getting that confused with another film. But, but yeah, they come upon this guy who is literally a troll hunter. And they get wrapped up in that. Where does that take place? Do you remember? Mm, well, we can always consult the internet really quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I would imagine that it's... Um, obviously a european country yeah it seems um, it seems like it was yeah, it seems very scandinavian mm-hmm. uh let's see i can tell you in just one second because that is one of those things that i just need to know immediately <laughs> um yeah yeah i remember that one just you know it came out of nowhere we watched it as a joke and it ended up being yeah. really good <laughs> So the, the little synopsis I have here says, while investigating reports of illegal poaching, so yeah, there you go, yeah. three student filmmakers encor- uh, excuse me, encounter a man who slays trolls for the Norwegian government. So he's actually contracted by the wow. government to take the trolls out. Oh, okay. So they don't want the other citizens to know about it, so he kind of yeah. keeps their population under yeah. wraps. I think that's, I think that's the idea. Yeah. Which is incredibly cool. Um, yep, so it sounds ridiculous at first. It looks ridiculous, especially if you just read that uh, that, little, that little synopsis. But it's actually amazing. And I, yeah, it's I, that really was, good. Yeah, I had a lot of fun watching that. You know what? I think I've been enjoying more of the European foreign fil- films and TV shows more than anything else lately. And I'm so glad Netflix is really... Uh, you know, bringing those to U.S. viewers because uh, we also watched The Ritual not yeah. too long ago, and that was fantastic. 
and the imagery in that is just so disturbing. Yeah, I, I remember being so thrilled when we found that because we had just been in this drought mm-hmm. of, of good horror movie to watch. I mean, so, you know, when you find yourself in that drought, you go back and you watch some of the classics. And I think that was one of the reasons why we started our uh, our an- annual horror movie fest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to get those classics. You know, I got back into like Hellraiser and uh, I think I ran a Night of the Demons at one point. <laughs> and... Um, Let's see, what was another really American Wolf in London as we named? Finally got me to watch um, House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, God, yes, yes, House of a Thousand Corpses, one of my favorite. I'll watch that any old time, though. I I appreciate what Rob Zombie was doing with those films, House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects, but it is, I guess, because I lived so long in um, Madison County, Georgia, growing up. <laughs> yeah, but we And both those did. people, they seem so <laughs> real to me, and that makes right. it so much more horrific. I can't, I can't even handle Yeah, those Captain movies. Spaulding, for sure. Oh, sorry, ma'am, I'm on some top secret clown business that really? supersedes See, any he's plans. The, yeah, he's the only vehicle. character that I enjoy in those films, because he seems a little over the top. It's a baby and um, Otis. Otis, yeah. Though they're so Madison County, like yeah. I could see that happening in Madison County, like there being this <laughs> old farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere where people just lure Elberton, unsuspecting maybe. people in and murder them and torture them and play with them in the worst ways. Yeah, they are what the industry refers to as serious folk. <laughs> yeah, well, those are the folks I grew up around, though. So you know. It's a yeah. it's good old fashioned taste of home. Yeah, we both had our dose of Madison County. I guess yeah. you were born there technically. I was born in Athens, but I mean, you know, we lived in we lived and around in, Madison County, yeah. yeah, forever. Rural North yeah. Georgia. But See, I love it. I, I was from Florida and I was I'll say displaced into yeah. Madison County. And that yeah, was it could an be. experience. Not not quite a literal fish out of water. Um but yeah, I'd move back there if given the chance. I don't think I would want to move back there and live close to anybody you know yeah you know definitely maybe a mile or so off the the beaten path maybe two miles as it were Uh, mostly i just like to be left alone so there you go okay so we wanted to discuss some of the films that uh that we have watched annually or or planning to watch so i want to start with uh actually you know what let's start with the witch because that's the one we watched first this year right Mm -hmm. okay so uh, the Witch was a 2015 film. Uh, it was written and directed by Robert Eggers. I uh, don't think that he had any experience making feature films before The Witch. Um, I think it was mostly theater, and uh, I think he did some commercials and things like that. But um, but I have absolutely no issues with his big screen debut. Um, so The Witch stars uh, Ralph Ineson, which uh, he was... Uh, I think Dagmar Clefjaw in Game of Thrones, and he was also one of the uh, Death Eaters. And man the has an year. amazing voice. Yes, by he the does. Way. Yes, he does, and a very unique face. Um, and then, of course, Kate Dickey, who was also in Game of Thrones, and uh, Prometheus. She was in the Last Jedi too. She was an officer on deck and hmm. um, on the Dreadnought. And uh, Ralph Ineson was also in one of the latest Star Wars movies. So that's interesting. They they share. Or those uh, those films and uh, movies kind of overlap with them, and then you have uh, Anya Josephine Taylor who was in Split. I think she was the girl that yeah. had been kidnapped, mm-hmm. and uh, she's also playing. If you remember, I mentioned seeing that uh, Ileana exclusive at Walgreens earlier today and almost crying because I couldn't get it. 
But uh, she's playing Ilyana <laughs> Rasputin in the New Mutants that's coming out. And uh, to bring it back to Game of Thrones, it also stars Maisie Williams. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Hopefully that'll cool. be cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so The Witch focuses mostly on this family who... Uh, now, why did they choose exile from this um, from this uh, colonial settlement? You know, I can't remember the exact reason. Um, I guess they just wanted to practice their faith in a certain way, and they felt like they were being pushed. Yeah. Um, the community didn't they say that his notions were heretical or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, but it never. I don't think it ever went into specifics. No, it didn't. Um, but this is another one of those. It's a really heavy, heavy uh, story. There's, yeah, there's it's a nothing, slow build. nothing good happens in this movie. So, um, you know, it's one you kind of have to prepare yourself for. Watch something funny after because yeah. it really, it really gets to you. Bookend it with some comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So this family, uh, the the father, the patriarch, chooses exile for the family, more mm-hmm. or less, over conforming to whatever it is the community has in mind for them and in so doing it's just a, a a domino effect one thing after another of of more intensely horrific and terrifying things happening to yeah. that family yeah initially it seems like he's just doomed them to a slow but inevitable starvation um you know and he's got all this hope and his faith but his family doesn't necessarily share that unshakable faith with him um you know they try to pretend that they do but things start falling apart right and even he starts kind of doing some underhanded things Mm -hmm. um to try to make it or work it out until it gets better and unfortunately it just never does so and as these things continue to happen i think it begins with the disappearance of their infant child which Mm -hmm. right off the bat it just you know it just guts me i have a really hard time watching stuff like that yeah and they don't they don't hide much from you as far as that goes as as far as what happens to the child and that's if you're a parent it's very hard to watch yeah yeah it's uh it is pretty tough so it i doesn't, think i actually look away during that scene. yeah it it um it doesn't paint a very well it does paint uh, i guess an accurate accurate portrait it's of, very of what's to come yeah so that that's the thing that happens and of course they blame it on wolves but as the movie progresses, the the things that happen to the family become more and more sinister, maybe. Yeah. But again, it's kind of like we were talking about before about Stephen King, uh, his work and and his characters. It's really the family that starts turning on themselves yeah. more than it is. Um, Which is interesting because they get away from the community, and you know, it's you know they're all Puritans basically, and. You know, so you you get the impression that if they had remained in the community, eventually, because of the way they practice their faith, somebody would have, you know, done, would have did the uh, whole witchcraft, you know, song and dance, (laughs) you know, just to get rid of them like they did back in the day. Right. But that essentially starts happening just amongst them. They start turning on each other, the kids and the parents, and it's... Yeah, and all the while the influence of the quote unquote witch mm-hmm. um is being played on them. Yeah, of the the actual witch, um, which you slowly become aware of over the course of the movie, uh, her presence in the woods and, you know, her how far her influence reaches and Yeah. 
Well, it incorporates some pretty, uh, I would say, just disturbing content in the way that uh, the characters are presented. Like, for example, I think there are the twins, the boy and the girl, which is a creepy anyway, yeah. those little twins. And then, of yeah. course, Black Phillip. You know how I feel about goats. <laughs> I love Black Phillip. <laughs> Adult goats. I love baby goats. Baby goats and I, we get along very well. He didn't feel that way until we went to a petting zoo and a baby goat just like fell in love with him for no apparent reason. <laughs> and then he was won over. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that kid was awesome. It's the pupils that bother him. Yeah, man. They shouldn't yeah. be sideways or square. That's just weird. Yeah. I love Black Phillip, though. I actually bought the pop when it came out. Yeah, well, that is a really cool pop. You know how I feel also about well-sculpted pops or uniquely sculpted yeah. pops, and that one's that one's sweet. So The Witch was pretty intense. I definitely recommend that as an addition to anyone's annual Halloween viewing. Um, uh, the last thing I want to say about it is that it paints a picture of a very strange reality, and it's strange in its surrealness, but also how... I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, how normal it seems, how sometimes the normal can be unsettling mm. or the harshness of isolation can be unsettling. Um, yeah, it's not really until the very end that anything, at least visually speaking, um, happens right before your eyes that is paranormal or supernatural. Right. Um, so the whole thing, you know, you're going through the movie and you know something's going on that isn't normal, but at the same time you keep asking yourself, but is it? Or are these people right. just being superstitious? Right. Or are they having fits <laughs> that can, of course, be explained by Yeah. Are they the crazy or is this really community? happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it also kind of um, harkens back to the way that people thought about mental illness and possession mm. or versus possession and things like that back in the day. So uh, that's always very interesting to me. Yeah, um, and when anybody acted out of the norm, you know, it would excite the community or the people that you lived with and things would just escalate. Yeah, man. God. And people would think they saw or heard things and, you know, it, it kind of has that feel until the very end when, you know, you're it's confirmed that no, there really is another yeah. force at work here. Something is afoot. Mm -hmm. um, the next one I want to talk about, An American Werewolf in London. I'm very sad that we haven't watched that one yet this year and that we probably won't get to. But that's one of my favorites. And we kind of, um, we, we touched on it when we showed Izzy for the first time the music video for Thriller. Um, <laughs> I remember watching it and I was like, you know, that really reminds me of an American werewolf from London. And I forgot that Michael Jackson had actually asked John Landis to help him create the video for American, we um, excuse me, for Thriller. And I remember when I was a kid, I watched this whole special on uh, how they cast Michael's face and, you know, how the contacts irritated his eyes. And I just remember being so enamored by that. Um, but of course, I hadn't seen an American werewolf from London at that time. Um, but you and I watched that together. Uh, was it the first Halloween after we started dating? Yeah, I think so. I, it's been long enough that I really don't remember much about it at all. Except that it was awesome. I, I remember enjoying it, definitely. So it came out in 1981. So that was just a couple of years before I came out. 
Um, and uh, it was <laughs> directed you by were released. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it was directed by John Landis <laughs> and written by John Landis. Uh, it stars uh, David Naughton and Jenny. Uh, what is her last name? Agater, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, so I thought that that was an amazing film because it really kind of starts. Well, well, number one, I love werewolves. Um, Who doesn't? Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, so you know, it starts with these two Americans. They're you know they're in England. They're hiking, and uh, they go into um, what was it? Uh, the slaughtered lamb was that the name of the pub. It would be. <laughs> you know, of course, everybody gets quiet and tells them, "Well, beware of the moors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Stay mm-hmm. on the road." So it all happens pretty quickly. They're they're hiking at night, and uh, I remember that's one of the best scenes because of that slow again. It's that slow terror. You hear the creature, and you can't see it, and they can't see it. But eventually, it gets to the point where they can see it, but you still can't. So you know there's something horrible yeah. about to take place, and they just they seem like two genuinely scared dudes. Yeah, it's like um, if you were walking in the woods at night and you heard a twig break, you know, you'd start imagining yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, so, is there anything you remember about that movie that you thought was outstanding, or I, I or really don't remember really cool? anything about it except oh, that I man. enjoyed it. Well, we we really need to watch it again. We really do. I think that it has one of the best werewolf transformation scenes. Do you remember that at all? Like the first time mm-hmm. David changes. No. No, I don't. I, I won't, you know, spend too much time trying to describe it uh, piece by piece. But basically, he's sitting in uh, his, he, you know, he um, after he's attacked and recovers, he's in his girlfriend's flat. And he's just sitting there reading a book. And the camera focuses on him in the chair reading a book. And nothing happens at all. But out of nowhere, he just collapses in pain and just starts freaking right out. Uh, and then, of course, there are the amazing visual effects of the change. I don't know. It was, just, it was very psychologically impactful to me. And I think that um, one of the cool things about that movie is how they were able to blend horror and comedy uh, really well to uh, to a tremendous effect, I think. Well, if you don't remember it, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we can get that one knocked out. Yeah, another one I really wish we would have watched... Um... I think is one of the best horror movies that's come out in recent years. And it's been some years, but uh, Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> such a good film. That was a breath of fresh air. I remember thinking, <laughs> wow, thank you for that. It's Joss Whedon, right? Yeah. I, I can't remember if he wrote and directed it, um, but uh, I know that he fulfilled uh, or filled one of those capacities with the movie such a fresh air a breath of fresh air i remember one of the most brilliant things is we went to the theater to see it um and the opening it it waits a while before you see uh, the title and um i i kept thinking and i think i even asked you i was like are we in the right movie we, <laughs> it's like, i don't yeah. think this is cabin in the woods and then like somebody lays down this hilarious line and then it's like Bam! Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess we are. I love that movie. It's so fantastic. Yeah, it's, I, it's brilliant. It is so witty. And it, it's it's amazing. It's it's horrifying, but at the same time, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's one of those two that I get the feeling that a lot of people probably passed it up because mm-hmm. they saw... 
Cabin in the Woods and maybe they saw a trailer for it and they were like, oh, it's another horror movie, no. you know, Teenagers in the Woods. No, not at all. It pulls the rug right yeah. off from under your feet. You, you never see it coming. And the ending you don't see coming too. I mean, the beginning is misleading. Right. And then you start to understand what's going on in the middle and the meat of it. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah, and well, then the ending, yeah. you're like, what the fuck? You know? Yeah. Yeah, it essentially, it makes fun of, uh, in a very, very clever and mischievous way, all of your common horror movie cliches mm-hmm. and tropes. I mean, that is, that's literally what they're doing. And, you know, the characters who are putting the teenagers through the situation that they're in, they make it very clear that that's what they're doing. I mean, they're basically building a horror movie for these uh, for these kids. And if you haven't seen it, then I don't want to give away why they're doing that because that's kind of the big reveal at the end. Yeah, I remember especially appreciating them uh, paying homage to uh, Hellraiser. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the other cool thing. You can pick out all the different homages yeah. and allusions to other horror movies. Um, and some of the monsters and uh, creatures that are in that film. Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant one. Um, the only people that I remember, like the only actors that I remember, um, you know, it's uh, one of those brothers. One was in, uh, you know, he's Thor, Mighty Thor. Oh, um, one of the Hemsworth. Yeah, isn't that Is Christopher it Chris Hemsworth? Hemsworth? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I can't believe that I just mm-hmm. totally forgot who Chris Hemsworth was, and you know, being as that he is uh, Thor. And then, of course, Sigourney Weaver, uh, the role that she played in that. I don't remember her. It's, it's been a while since we watched that, too. Yeah, we she really was one of the antagonists. Um, yeah, the only other fellow that I recall is uh, Bradley Whitford. He mm-hmm. was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Bradley Whitford. He was hilarious in that movie. He's the one that really wanted to see the merman. Oh, yeah, remember? yeah, no, Bradley Whitford, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, he, he, was, he was also the uh, the bad guy and... Mm-hmm. and billy madison that was probably the first time i had seen him yeah. but uh, yeah i was just so ha- got so happy to see him because i think that's the only time i had seen him on screen since billy madison mm-hmm. and then of course he was one of the villains i guess you would say and get out uh he played the girl's father oh get out yeah oh, so that was amazing. just uh that was I can't believe i forgot about get out we need to watch that yeah we need to revise our list actually yeah. and watch these movies again um, yeah, I'm get so glad we, yeah, we we're finally able to see that movie, and it was oh god, it was so worth it. Um, yeah, we <laughs> there are a couple of these movies we might actually have to do a, a separate show for, um, <laughs> just because uh, you know we could go on for another hour about Get Out, and I kind of like to get some uh, some other folks on to join us if we ever decide to talk about that movie. Yeah, if we just if we were to just like fire off a few more of that. You know, we wish we could get to. Yeah. I guess um, Mama is one that I really, really gets under my skin. Um, and it's just, it's got a lot of creepy imagery. Yeah. Um, Strange movement mm, from your mm-hmm, creatures is always weird. Mm-hmm. Freaks you out a little. And um, Young Frankenstein. Yeah. It's you know, classic. that's not really scary, but. Yeah, you can watch it anytime. Yeah. But Halloween, of course, I it gets. I love it. Love it. Extra appropriate for Halloween. Um, and of course, as you well know, I'm obsessed with the Conjuring films. Yep. Um, you know, minus Annabelle. Uh, but the Conjuring 1, 2, and now The Nun, yeah. I really love. Well, you know, one of the things that I love about that, uh, apart from it being really good horror, because uh, that was another one that, that I saw that I was like, wow, I can't mm-hmm. believe that was that actually kind of unsettled me. 
uh, Patrick Wilson and uh, Vera Farmiga, they just have such an amazing chemistry. Yeah, together. they really do. And they really took their time. Um, they spent some time with um, Lorraine. Ed Warren. and Lorraine Warren. Yeah, well, Ed was, had already died, but um, they spent time with Lorraine Warren. Mm. And when just, did he die? Uh, I don't I don't know exactly when he died, but it was well before the movies yeah. were made. But, um, you know, they really spent time with her and just tried to get a feel for their relationship and all of that. But, you know, they really did their research for that because it was based on real people. And uh, Lorraine Warren actually has a cameo. A ca- cameo, thank you. Yeah, she has a cameo in the first Conjuring film when they're doing a lecture at a college, I guess, that was open to the public as well. Yeah, she's, I remember that. Yeah, she's up there in one of the seats. So that was interesting. But yeah, I think not so much the, for The Nun. I just enjoyed that for the horror. Cause that was a really heavy hitter um, as well. That was, was so heavy and dark. Yeah. Um, you know, not much good happened in it. So there was no lighthearted moments to kind of balance out the dark ones. But, um, that's why I like the conjuring the first film and the second film so much is because it's a good balance. You know, you've got the families and you've got these heartwarming moments and you really grow to care about the characters. Um, Mm -hmm. James Wan does it, right? Yeah. Yeah. James Wan. He really takes time to build the characters in the story, which a lot of um, directors I feel neglect in horror because they want to get right to the yeah. you know the blood and the gore and the, yeah and he was scares. supposed to do it and that uh, oh, that's that too bad fell through. fell through I think I he mean really it was good but it probably would have been even better in his hands I agree because you know Stephen King does focus so heavily on the character building but um yeah that's I, I like that James Wan does that he doesn't neglect that aspect he really makes a story out of it instead of just <clears throat> you know a horror film yeah a series of jump scares mm-hmm. yeah god take, you know, and he take has a page a few, out of the book man but he's also got you know uh like one of the creepiest images to me in the second film was um when lorraine is having that dream and her daughter says mom who's that and points oh yeah and you just see at the end of the hall the nun's just standing there you know, she's not doing anything. She's not rushing at you. She's yeah. just standing there staring. That made an impact. And that's very disturbing. And then, of course, when she goes in the room and the shadow starts walking around slowly, that's disturbing as well. Yeah. <laughs> they they did a very good job with, in those films, and specifically the first one. They're clearly proponents of the show-don't-tell. Getting getting my, my creative terms and, and phrases kind of messed up here. Um, but, yeah, you don't see very much. It's all alluded to and suggested. And uh, I think that always makes for a much more sinister and uh, disturbing film. Mm. Yeah, I felt I felt like the first film was definitely the strongest story-wise. It was the best film, but I think the second film is probably my favorite. Cause yeah. I, just, I enjoyed the family in that one more and their play with the Warrens. Yeah, I know that one got the most play in this house. <laughs> um, not and of course there's ago. Patrick Wilson singing. So yeah. Like, you know. I love Patrick Wilson. <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean, yeah. If you don't, you also need to fix your shit on that number as well, <laughs> um, because you uh, you just you just don't get it. Um, was there anything else you wanted to touch on? Since I know we were going to talk about several, um, 
but we've been going for about almost an hour and a half. Yeah. And uh, we still need to, there's still one more thing we need to talk about. Yeah, I think that's about it. Um, we love our horror, obviously. Oh, damn, yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, the the only other one that I wanted to mention, apart from Trick or Treat, um, which I, I feel kind of like we need to talk about Trick or Treat, just because. Um, so very, it's very, amazing. yeah, very briefly, I just want to talk about one of my favorite horror movies. That's another like kind of cult favorite. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That we just um, it's like not everyone's seen it, but if you haven't, you really should. Well, that one was one of our vision video picks. Yeah. Where we were just yeah. picking random stuff. And, and I remember when we picked it up, when we took it up to the counter, it's like, oh, this is so good. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I told, I expected a total crap fest, but it was amazing. Hey, um, you know, when we picked it up, I figured, you know, in the very least, it's got Anna Paquin in it. So. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I remember that was kind of the first clue was looking at the cast mm-hmm. on the back and just being like, well, yeah, had a good interesting. Cast. Brian Cox. I remember reading mm-hmm. that and thinking, okay, this can't be that bad. <laughs> um, but, uh, the only other one I wanted to talk about before we move into that one is The Thing, which um, which we didn't get to watch this year, um, but hopefully we will soon. Um, I actually voted for that on the last movie club because I was hoping that we could not, you know, kill two birds with one stone and uh, talk about that here and, and also there. But um, but yeah, so The Thing was a John Carpenter film, is a John Carpenter film. Um, it was written by uh, Burt Lancaster, who incidentally wrote bad news bears so that's uh and its sequel so that's kind of a departure from uh, from those two films of note and uh so the thing is anyone not familiar with the thing <laughs> if 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 you're not it's basically a research team and uh where are they are they in norway i don't know that's a very or, or alaska and they're the Lovecraft feel yeah, to it. God, I'm, I can't believe I said that they were in Norway. Um, no, they were in Orlaska, Alaska. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. No, no, were it wasn't they, Alaska. They were either. in the Arctic, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, and that because that explains their proximity to. Uh, yeah, wow! I just balls that all up. That actually makes me think of at the mountains of madness. That's kind yeah. of it. It has the same feel as the beginning of that book. Yeah, it's Antarctica. I don't know why I was like, oh yeah, Norway, uh, Alaska, uh, some place that's fucking cold. Um, but anyway, yep, a group of guys encounters a <laughs> space alien that they thaw. Well, they don't know it's an alien at the time. Uh, they uh, well, I guess they do because they pull it out of a ship, right? Um, do they? Um, no, it, it no, just... it had crawled away and had been burned. Yeah. And then, uh, anyway, the premise is they get mixed up with this thing that can imitate any any living creature that it comes into contact with. It basically assimilates itself and uh, creates a duplicate of that thing. So Kurt Russell uh, is in that film, uh, as long as, uh, or excuse me, along with Wilford Brimley, eat your damn oatmeal and uh, <laughs> diabetes. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> Um, and of Is course, he really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't remember Wilford Brimley? No. Um, but yeah, he, uh, uh, also Keith David is in that movie and anyone that knows me well, probably at this point knows that I'm a huge fan of Keith David, uh, especially the work that he did or the voice work he did for Spawn and HBO's animated series. Um, but, uh, anyway, yeah. So the thing is one that we usually watch and, uh, don't get around to, um, it, it was horribly received when it came out and didn't develop the following that it has now until after it was released on video. Um, but just, just an amazing movie, um, all around good time. And, and there's just a lot going on 
that one. And I'm just going to stop now because we don't have the time to talk about it. Um, trick or treat? Yep, trick or treat. That's <laughs> that's the last one that I had on my list. Yeah, that one's a anthology style. Yep. But it all ties together. Yeah, it's uh, it's shot in, is it, I think, are there four vignettes? Yeah, that um, sounds about right. Yep, so Trick or Treat, um, that was written and directed by Michael Doherty. That came out in 2007. And uh, on the top of the list of folks that it stars, it's, uh, it's got Dylan Baker, as Maggie mentioned, Anna Paquin, and Brian Cox. Um, so they kind of round out the cast um, of that uh, vignette-style movie. And basically, how would you describe it? Oh, gosh. I don't know. It's... Um... It's definitely got the dark comedy thing going on. Um, there's an element of comedy to it, but it's also very messed up. <laughs> yeah, predominantly it's a horror film. It takes place mm-hmm. on Halloween. Yeah. Halloween night, I think. Yeah, and um, essentially you've got this character that is kind of a spirit of Halloween, yeah. I guess you would call him. Yeah, I think that's what we settled on, who's kind of like the mm-hmm. spirit of Halloween. And basically, if you aren't honoring Halloween in a way that he deems fit, um, you may become <laughs> a victim to his uh, to um, his murderous little desires. Yeah. Yeah, he will correct your shit. To his uh, sharp little lollipop that he carries around. Yeah. But um, it's kind of funny though because over the years, it seems like. Sam has become a much larger cult icon, and it's mm-hmm. probably even more well known. Yeah, since even we if you haven't up. seen Trick or Treat, I can bet if you looked up Sam from Trick or Treat, you'll have seen the image of him somewhere. Yeah, little little goblin in a pink onesie. It looks like uh, a sack over his head. Is yeah. it orange? I think so. And he's got yeah, he's got a burlap sack over his head yep. with button eyes. He's got a little jack o' lantern sucker. Yeah, lollipop has got a bite out of it. Yeah, so I don't, you know, I wouldn't even know where to begin in describing in describing the film. It it, it takes place on Halloween, as we mentioned. I think that it's four separate vignettes, but they all flow into one another. They're, the stories are interlocked. Yeah, um, it's like Sam. He kind of like protects um, the essence of Halloween, but at the same time, he's malevolent. As you know, if. Like I said, if you if you don't do things in a way he deems fit, bad, very bad things happen. So you've got um, you've got the intro with like the first murder, as it were, that shows what happens if you don't respect Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the kid who wants to carve the pumpkin with his dad. Yeah, and his dad's a total weirdo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, like you get the idea that he's probably a serial killer, uh, <laughs> right? <and> the- <laughs> undiscovered cereal. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm, it's kind of hard here because this is one I definitely don't want to spoil. Um, so that those are characters that are focused on. And then there's Brian Cox, who mm. is dealing with his issues. Yeah, he, he committed a very serious crime back in the day. Yeah. And that history is coming back to... Uh, um, Coming back to haunt him. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. And then there's Anna Paquin's storyline where she's going out for the first time to a party of some sort. Yeah, and she's, you know, is played off as, you know, an innocent person who's having her first dose of fun, but really you find out that there's 
there's a whole lot more going going on on beneath the surface. Yep. So, (laughs) so not, not to spoil those things. Um, but throughout the story, we definitely have Sam, the little, little goblin of Halloween, little Halloween Halloween goblin. goblin. And we have vampires or do we, and, uh, werewolves, right. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, zombies or otherwise revenants from the past mm-hmm. coming to wreak havoc and uh, and or seek revenge. Oh, and then you got the storyline with those kids who um who are kind of stirring up the ghosts of yep. the past. Yeah. yeah. And all of these things are happening on Halloween night. All of these yeah. stories are taking place on the same night. And then they all in the end come to tie together and you yeah, understand how one they place. All fit together and it's like a puzzle that interlocks at the end. Yeah, very pulpy, very old school uh, mm-hmm. comic book horror. Yeah, um, which I really love. It's definitely our our chosen favorite. Every yeah. Halloween, it's the one movie we make sure to watch yep. every Halloween. Every time, we cannot go without watching Trick mm-hmm. or Treat. So definitely check that out. Um, I know I didn't get my hands on the comic. Uh, I don't. I can't recall if it was an adaptation. Or a, a one-shot spinoff, but um, I know that um, Fiona Staples, she she worked on Saga. that. Saga. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I'm really interested in getting my hands on that. I'd really like to, to check it out and look at it because I really do think that if you're not gonna if you're not gonna make a trick or treat two, which I think is still in the works. Oh gosh, then, they've been teasing. Yeah. That for it works so well as a comic. It can work so well as a comic, and I would be just fine with that because there mm-hmm. aren't enough horror anthologies out there um but yeah i think that's that's pretty much it as far as the movies go um Mm -hmm. wow i could man you know i'm actually thinking about starting another podcast or just (laughs) canning what i've got now and just and and doing these movies because that's a man i love them so much i love to spend more time talking about each one yeah um but yeah so there's one other thing that we wanted to uh now i don't think we announced it on uh the last show did we i don't remember that you i think we did actually that you were working on stranger things yeah maybe wow i don't remember at all but (laughs) halloween is uh tomorrow yep tomorrow october 31st stranger things season one from top trading card company drops and maggie Mm -hmm. you, (laughs) you you worked on that and uh i did so what uh which cards will you be getting back i've already got them back um my artist proofs i kept steve a steve harrington that i did um mr clark mr clark uh, the demogorgon and i kept uh one of l uh where she's wearing the blonde wig and the pink dress and um i think she's crying because it was that scene in the junkyard where they basically didn't want anything to do with her anymore or something, and she was crying and her nose was bleeding. Um, yeah, there's a lot of emotion in that card. Yeah. Did that so well. Um. Yeah, so uh, I kept that one as well. And I'll, of course, be trying to sell. <laughs> yep, they will be uh, They will be posted. Maggie's going to put that up on her Instagram, and I'm going to put that up on the Sleeping Giant Facebook page as well as the Instagram page. So uh, when you guys see these, uh, hopefully you'll see them tomorrow. Hopefully you'll listen to this tomorrow. 
and either way, if you don't, just you know, give us a give us a uh, take a gander rather at our Facebook page and our Instagram page, which uh, it's SG Cards and Toys, both on Facebook and Instagram. So Facebook slash SG Cards and Toys and at SG Cards and Toys on Instagram. Uh, don't do that Twitter business. I don't tweet. So you probably won't see anything Neither there. Do I. Yeah, I've, I've got one just as a formality, and occasionally I'll make a dad joke or comment about uh, how I'm old and don't want to adapt to new technology and uh, social media platforms. Yeah, I have an account, but it's only to follow. A lot of authors use that platform, so I follow like J.K. Rowling and Stephen King and Neil Gaiman and whatnot on there. But um, otherwise, I don't use it at all. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Well, oh gosh, I think that's that's pretty much it. Oh, there was another one that you just picked up recently that you'll be working on too. Cards Hub? Yeah. Yeah, um, I've got Galaxy coming out and Star Wars Galaxy coming out in November. And then, um, yeah, I just took on a new project. Uh, they're, I guess, have they already done yeah, one? Yeah, they already did episode four. Okay. Yeah, um, Tops is releasing a Star Wars black and white series of the movies, a set of cards, and so I'll be working on Empire Strikes Back. The best one. Uh, black and white, and basically, you know, all the cards, all the photos are in black and white, um, and then the artists that work on the sketch cards, like I do, we have to work only in either black and white ink or grayscale um, markers or paints. Yeah, I think that's my favorite way that you've done cards so far. Yeah, I actually did Galaxy that way because um, I was short on time just with the amount of work I had taken on um, as far as the card projects go. So I did my last set for Galaxies in grayscale and... I actually decided yeah. after that that I would probably work in grayscale from now on. So yeah. it's they pretty look convenient. so good. They really do. They look yeah. amazing. I just work better in grayscale for some reason. Yeah, well, you guys will be able to see those once that hits shelves in November, Galaxies. Um, of course, she won't be able to show you any, uh, any of her work prior to that. And then, of course, I don't even know the release date for Empire Strikes Back black and white um it comes out in january january okay so yep you'll be able to see those in january um i know i'm looking forward to it and i'm very much looking forward to helping you find screen caps from empire because that is my favorite star wars movie um but uh anyway that's a that's a that's a whole other discussion for another time also um i think that's it though i think we've gone over everything we wanted to talk about in the show notes mm-hmm. and uh on our list and I guess we'll just have to come back and talk about some of these movies at length individually. Yeah, I really think we should do a live um, where we watch a movie and yeah, live commentary. commentary. Yeah. yeah, that'd be that'd be really fun. But what movie to do? Oh, we'll think of something. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate it, Maggie. Thank you for joining me here and, and having this discussion. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay. look forward to having you on again. Thanks so much. Well, that's all she wrote, folks. That, as they say, is that. Thanks again to Maggie for joining me, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you're wondering, Maggie does still have artist proofs available from the Stranger Things set, as well as Star Wars Masterwork and Star Wars Galactic Files. So, 
If you're interested, you can hit her up on her Instagram page, which is at uh, Maggie underscore Ransom. Or you can shoot me a message at our Instagram page, at SG Cards and Toys, or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash SG Cards and Toys. Also, if you're keen to hear me prattle on about films I've watched, you can catch me on the latest edition of Mark Godsiff's Movie Club podcast, which you can find on his Patreon page. As we mentioned before, we watched The Shining, uh, and that was a really fun experience. A little harrowing at times, but fun nonetheless. It's a, it's a really cool way to get involved with fandom, and it's a wonderful way to meet wonderful people who also love films. So definitely check that out. Mark's a great guy. Be sure to visit his Patreon page. Become a member. Um, it's It's been a lot of fun. It's one of the best things that I've been involved in in a long time. And, and uh, so, yeah, do that. That's going to be it for this podcast, folks. Once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte. And thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. Mm-hmm.